When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. Take you away, Ryan. <laughs> to a distant land. Hi, Tim. Where we can duplicate your body. Right. To where? What is this country called? I don't think they have ever even say. We're talking about Infinity Pool today, folks. It's a magical place. It's called uh, Latoka. Yes, hello, folks. Thank you for being here. Welcome, as she said, to Dismembering Horror. We're very happy to have you here. La- Latoka? Yeah, that's what I thought. Made up place, I'm guessing. Very happy to have you here in at Dismembering Horror. As she said, specifically, though, episode 198 of Dismembering Horror, where we are talking about the new Brandon Cronenberg joint Infinity Pool new new release movie, which is always fun, and a new Cronenberg joint. I'll take it whether it's him or his old man. All right, Tim. Well, anything you've got before we jump into Infinity Pool here? Uh, let's just in review uh, what... Brand and Cronenberg movies have we done? We only done one, right? Which I believe was his only film thus far, Possessor, unless I'm missing something. Uh, he did Antiviral. Oh, okay, right. Which I don't, I haven't seen actually. So I haven't seen that. I, I, I keep, it's one it's one of those ones where I keep going, oh, I should watch that, and then I and then I don't. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd want to see his whole oeuvre at this point. Yeah. But we liked Possessor. Yeah, we did like Possessor, and I'm excited to see what you like about Infinity Pool. Yeah. Um, few few quick things follow up. The, today we're recording this. Just got to mention, Puxtani Phil did see his shadow today, so we have six more weeks of winter. How thrilling. <laughs> it's Groundhog Day, yep. <laughs> um, but more more apropos for our show, just fun, fun follow-up things to some recent episodes we did. We recently did... Um, uh, the 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 World Fair movie. <laughs> Forget we're the all time. going to the World. We're all going to the World Fair. Fair, and then we also recently did Skinamarink. Both are very about like today's digital communications, mm. you know, modes and stuff. Yeah, I just thought it was really fun. I saw on Twitter the filmmaker behind We're All Going to the World's Fair talk about um, their views of Skinamarink. Oh, really? And it's just fun to like you know, know what they thought about it. That's here. cool. So I wanted to read their kind of, uh, their opinion of it, Skinamarink. It's just fun and unique the day and age we live in. And I think they're both uh, films that uh, any scrutiny and opinions on are kind of fun since they're obtuse films. But here we go. Jane said on their Twitter, third viewing of Skinamarink this morning, and it just keeps growing for me as a deeply painful reflection on queer childhood. I've read some literalized attempts to explain the film's plot, i.e. they're in hell, Kevin is concussed and fever dreaming, etc. And to me, the film's relationship to narrative is too purposefully oblique to support any single literal interpretation. 
which is part of why it's so refreshing in the current horror landscape and part of why some viewers are pissed at it. <laughs> what does seem clear, though, is the film's commitment to atmosphere and its hazy childhood dream logic. This is a memory film drawing influence from the liminal internet's, quote, cursed image aesthetic. We are being told to watch Skinnermarink like a hazy memory. My own earliest memory is of needing to pee but being too afraid to leave my bed and walk to the bathroom. The dark hallway loomed, as did fear of my father's anger if I was caught out of bed at night. Skinnermarink conjures the memory of this tear for me exactly. How it felt reflected through the grain of time. So perhaps instead of interpreting the film's horror, literally consider it as a reflection on queer childhood in a bad home, Consider each character, faces purposely distorted as loose subconscious apparitions. Kevin and Kaylee, both K names like the filmmaker, switching or respective interchangeably as the camera moves between first and third POVs. The arc of the film, a descent into defamiliarization slash loss of identity, ceiling becoming floor, faces deformed and missing from family photos, TV distortion increasing throughout as if the filmmaker is warping the very memory of childhood to conjure a specter that is very familiar to me. I suspect other queer kids who grew up in a certain time and certain type of home. It's even there in the name Skinnamarink, a wholesome kid's song that lingers in the memory years later like a bad dream. This is the film to me, a hauntological conjuring of the trauma of queer childhood dehumanization. What is your name? The specter asks at the end of the film. Is he speaking to Kevin, Kaylee, or to Kyle, to me or to you? Cool. Fun we can get the thoughts of we're all going to the World's Fair filmmakers on uh, Skin Merrick. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah, and it's just, <laughs> it's kind of fun, like saying there's saying straight up. Uh, there's no there's no fixed read, yeah. but here is my read, which is right, just fun. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Now for today, everyone. Uh, no, not Skidmerick. Infinity Pool episode one ninety eight. I already said it. All right. So uh, it come it premiere this yeah from twenty twenty three. Let's jump into it with our trailer, written and directed as I said by Brendan Cronenberg. Infinity Pool. I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day. Let's mix things up a bit. Hiya! You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon? I'm working on it. What do you do for money then? You married well, rich. <laughs> <laughs> I actually came here looking for inspiration. Mr. James Foster, you'll have to come with us. Here, the punishment for any crime committed is death. What? What did you say? That's for a significant sum. We'll build a double to send in for your execution. our rating system would we tell ourselves if we had not seen this film to avoid stream rent or buy infinity pool well i would like to watch this movie again and maybe again so i'm a buy <laughs> great it's got um quite a lot of the things that I like, but then it, I mean, there, 
there's some very interesting like dichotomy style filmmaking that I that I really like uh and it's you know it's tipping into the Cronenberginess that we, that I've traditionally liked but still like retaining I think Brandon's own thing mhm so the Cronenberg uh, 2.0 of it yeah, all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I aspire to make things that are that I would classify as Cronenberg esque, mm-hmm. and I and I don't, you know, when you do that or when you like aim for that, you don't want to be derivative and you don't want to just be like copying Cronenberg. But there's a feeling, I think, and sort of there's sort of some tenets that that are consistent through Cronenberg films, and then films that I would classify as Cronenberg-esque. You mean in both of their films when you well, say now, Cronenberg? Okay. Yes. Cool. And so those are all things that I really enjoy. And I think this one, uh, on top of that, has a, a level of performance that mm-hmm. it, that is really, really up there for mm-hmm. me. That So I'm I, like, I would I would happily own this. Yeah, Tim. Um, I was coming into this with a what felt like conservative rent it because I'm still wrapping my head around it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you put it as I would watch it again and then I would also watch it again, you got me thinking I totally would. So <laughs> I guess that makes me a buy it too. Why not get on board with it? I really thought, and maybe, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves for our what works section, but this felt like a definite upgrade from Possessor in a way for me. Um, Possessor is a... uh, Not that that was bad, though. I don't think it was bad, but Possessor felt way more... What's a good word for it? Sort of untethered and tan... Or not tangential, untethered and, and like ethereal almost, where it's like we're winding around sort of like... I don't know, floating around in in outer space or something to me. I I don't know why I feel that way exactly, but this feels so much more concise of a of an idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it really is. And so, like within that, <laughs> there are there are so many opportunities to feel like maybe you're getting ahead of the film. Of like, oh my God, is this going to happen? Mm-hmm. But it does. It's it's not. It, it it pays off. I think almost better than those those uh, moments of anticipation. And so that's to me, that's a filmmaker really being like, oh, I know where I'm going, and I know what you probably are thinking I'm doing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with you. Great. Which is that's really good. Well, I'm excited to pick all that apart. Uh, but before we do that for what's worked, we like to summarize to all get on the same page here. We hope you've seen the movie. That is the spirit in which we'll, we, in which we will be discussing, discussing it. (laughs) Um, but all the same, whether you've seen it or not, what was this movie, Tim? Okay. I think this movie starts, uh, in a kind of, ostensible way as like a 
almost like a Daniel Steele novel. Do you remember Daniel Steele like commercials where it's like, they're like romance novels, mm-hmm. you know, of the, maybe the eighties or nineties. And it kind of starts with this, this, what I would consider a, like a, a trope of the romantic, like troubled romantic couple, right? They're on vacation. They're trying to not necessarily rekindle, but they're trying to like salvage something. In this case, it's it's um, James's writing career. Um, but you can s- tell right away that the relationship is like murky. It's not doing great. Mm-hmm. They're at a resort, and it's not like they're like, wow, what a what a beautiful romantic time, and like it just furthers our relationship. It's not happening that mm-hmm. way. And so, like any good, you know, kind of, I don't know what you call this genre exactly, but it's like the, it's like cheater drama, a cheater's drama. Like, is like, is there going to be infidelity? It's White Lotus uh, season eighteen. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, right? It's like, what's going to happen between this couple? Is it going to go well or is it going to go badly? And so that all lives inside this capsule of like romance or infidelity sort of like coupledom because they meet another couple at the resort and then that couple seems enticing and interesting but a little weird and you're like wow are they where are they going to take our couple that we've been introduced to well she takes our couple pretty quickly <laughs> right so then right away almost right away Upon, I guess what was it? It would be the second interaction. Mm-hmm. We we are taken outside the grounds of this resort, and it's important to know that the country that they're in does not like tourists, but lives off of tourists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the resort has a very strict rule that you don't go outside of the grounds. Like it's barbed wire and fences. Like you're not as a guest allowed outside because chances are the locals will rob you, rape you, kill you, whatever. So there's this looming threat of that. But they, of course, like idiots, go anyway. And upon doing so, we get more of the, it's sort of, she. Uh, so what is, um, we got James Foster, Mia Goth as Gabby Bauer. Gabby, yeah. So Gabby is like femme fatale, like, all the way. You know right away that she's like, she's seemingly into James. She's going to be the the wedge. She's the one in charge in a way. Right. And James is intrigued because she's presented herself as a fan of his one shitty book. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, a fan. Like <laughs> his whole life is spiraling around whether or not he even has a career as a writer. So... Once that setup happens, we think, okay, this is, I thought to myself, like, oh, we're going to go into this very weird land of, like, seduction, infidelity, like, spiraling, you know, whatever. Which we do. We do, but in a, in the Cronenbergiest of ways. So James semi-drunkenly runs over a local and kills him, and they... Everybody kind of freaks out, rightly so. They get back to the compound resort 
And the next morning, James is is picked up by the police, which is like the worst thing that you can imagine happening because the police are always corrupt. And like, this is not a country that, you know, views outsiders positively. It's not the worst thing if you're rich. So it turns out, (laughs) exactly, exactly. That's the whole movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The cops present to James an option. They have a, a law that says, if you kill a local, the punishment is death. But if you have a lot of money, you can pay to be duplicated so that the eldest son of the deceased can kill the duplicate and and feel vindicated in that. But you have to watch it. And then, exactly. And then <laughs> the rest of the movie, like, well, all good movies, they take that setup and premise and do, as we like to say, pursue potent possibilities. What oh, could man. only happen in this film with this setup, with this story, with these yeah. characters in the setting? And uh, we get just that, and it's all great. And it all, yeah. And so, the so the the rest of the movie is kind of this spiraling in that realm where you learn that Mia Goth and her husband ha- and their like rich friends think this is all just like a fun game where they because they have enough money that they can just go commit crimes, feel zero threat. Yeah, yeah, and they can just pay to be duplicated so that there's no consequence. Like it's like I have money. I could just do whatever I want. And they find revelry in that process that they like enjoy watching their doubles get killed, which is super dark. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's this sexual sort of, you know, because all bets are off, like they can just have vices and, and, spiral into whatever realm they want because there's no real consequence in their mind. Yeah. The the crux of it is that James is taken along for this ride with them as if he's being folded into their group in a in a like positive way. He's the new recruit basically right. and he's going through his hazing essentially. Right. But it turns out that's really not what they want with him. They, right. they they are there to just fuck with him. And you could say his um girl or his wife is kind of yeah, part of that crux as far as always representing the 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 non-corrupted crazy world. Right. Or as as Gabby says, like women like her keep men like you weak. Mm. Something to that. Really That's gets, a paraphrase. Gets phrase, to but, his head, yeah. You know, and so that that is the 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 emphasis of of the whole movie. You know, from Gabby's point of view, is this idea of like be, be a man. It's super misogynistic, right? It's this very toxic masculinity like concept that Gabby is presenting to him to emasculate him to make him like fall under her spell more, mm-hmm. which is great. And, and yeah, he does. It's great in the irony of it. <laughs> right, right. And then um, and then they all kind of go home, right? Like they eventually the game, it's time to go home and go back to their lives. And he's gone through this terror multiple times. And I think the question is ultimately, is he changed or not, right? Like I, I think he is, but there's also the question of like, the double of the double of the double at any point could that possibly could he possibly be not the original 
Right, which is another kind of ongoing philosophical thematic right. so uh, there's crux a through it. Huge theme of like self. This is all really what worked. So are you ready to get I guess into that's it? That's true, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. There's the summary. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked? Yeah, since we've been touching on it already, just these two huge overarching things that I love, 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 love and make me go, yeah, of course, I want to own this. Um, the, the, the hostile story, basically. Rich people going to exploit local community can just get away with literal murder because they're rich. And what, well, what's not even that they themselves are rich in this case, that is sort of the, the, whatever the word precept, but that the country is reliant on this industry period. Yeah. Right. The country is so poor that the only thing that they have there, they are bound by tourism. They can't exist without an influx. So you don't even necessarily have to be rich per se. You just have to be from somewhere else right. because well, by default, everywhere else has more money than this country. True. But as as far as what I was getting to, what I love so much, it's that the idea of, yeah, if you are super rich like these people presented or the people in the hostile movies pay to kill people for the thrill of it. It's that <laughs> question of like, going down the path of like, what is a bigger and bigger sort of thrill as if that is the purpose in life. Mm, and then mm -hmm. when it crosses the line into hurting other people like that, that becomes an essential part of how one feels alive, I guess. Um, right. Because of the consequence, like node. Yes. Well, it's, it's just the extremity of it all. Yeah. It's how it's, uh, it's, uh, what you do after skydiving. It's this, this idea that there's some natural escalation being human if you're just left to be able to do anything and when that takes a turn into evil because it's uh, relying on harming others. I just, I love right. those themes and ideas. And then that combines with another horror idea that I just love, 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 so near and dear to me. You know, I mentioned the 78 invasion of the body snatchers mm -hmm. being one of my mm -hmm. favorites, but this idea of we, we somehow aren't, you know, unique that we aren't special because you can just make a double of us. And this is like an extension of those ideas in a way I'd never seen before invasion of the body snatchers. They're clear pod people here. They have your exact, memories, emotions, right. whatever. So it just adds, so by combining that with the other kind of story, you know, I set up, it just brings it to this whole new level of like, what's the next thrill after hostel of, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like a thrill based on sort of the spiritual idea of connection and disconnection with, you know, each other, one world, all that, all that jazz. So it's like, yeah, what's the next step up from just killing a stranger and that adrenaline ride? It's like the disconnection from who 
should even if you're the most selfish person, this would be maybe the one person you do relate to, and that's yourself. You would think. <laughs> yeah. So it just adds this whole other layer of like these people are so far gone and it's just so terrifying. I mean, God, those scenes, Tim, where it was oh god, and it was just such a fun twist when you're watching it, when they're getting um taken, we watch them getting taken away as if they're all gonna get executed. We see them get executed, and then no, they're just the the actual them, uh, as far as we know, are sitting over in the stands cheering on right. their own deaths. I mean, God, it's so good. <laughs> it's it's really well done, and there's just enough clues that we like <clears throat> in, because of the the point of view that we're given. We're set up with this the original time that James goes through this, right? And there's like these little clues. So the He's put in a white gown before he gets duplicated, right? And then after the duplication, when he and his wife are watching the execution, the the white gown that that the copy is put in has a little design around the collar. It's mm. like a flower design. It's the only thing that's really different about the gowns. If you, you know, you can miss that pretty easily. So when we come back and we from the it's directed so that we assume that we're watching original copy or original James not mm-hmm. a copy and all of them because they've been arrested again and the only clue that that's not that 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 is a copy is this little detail on all of their gowns mm-hmm. right and so you can't it, it, that's not even it's a it's a suggestion that they're a copy because mm. we 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 can't know exactly that 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 signifies definitively that they're a copy but once we get into the the execution scene i think it, like for me at least i was like oh okay this is they're probably a copy for that singular reason we're we're giving a we're being given this clue and then it turns out to be true but I love the subtlety of that kind of thing, right? That there's a there's like a little flourish, a little decoration, just enough for us to be like, is this the copy or is this the original them? I guess that worked on me in a subliminal sense because I don't really notice those details, but I was caught up as if it was them. It was like, where is this going? Yeah, I mean, I think I continuously was like, I'm being messed with, mm-hmm. so I'm expecting it to to go in a in a weird direction or or to be subverted. The movie was already you felt in good hands enough that you couldn't really tell if it was going to do a b or c or z. Right. You know? And at times it 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 actually does the thing that I was anticipating but but twists it just enough to make it even more interesting, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um but so what was my original point of that? Uh the okay so thematically this idea of of copying yourself there's a bunch of visual uh what would you call it sort of metaphors i guess or just whatever like like there's scenes so one of the first scenes that sort of speaks to this this is hard to describe. What I'm getting, what I want to get at is that Cronenberg is doing 
almost throughout the movie, he's taking the two themes that we've talked about, right? The, the theme of getting your thrills. Yeah. Exploitation. The seductive, well, like the, 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 the primitive side of us that if we had no rules, if we had no, uh, if we were just an ego monster. Yeah. Which it's fun to put in the context. I always think of like the Beatles talking about becoming the most famous band in the world. And they kind of went on the trip. It's like, we literally have it all. And that's when they started being like, okay, looking for something else, kind of being right. like, this ain't all it. So the, yeah. So, so it's like, what happens if you, keep going down that level with access right. to everything. But we get these really cool setups. So there's that theme and then there's the duplication theme, right? And both are constantly kind of being intertwined early on. So for example, when they go on their first picnic, they go outside the grounds, they're on the picnic, they're getting drunk. Um Gabby's husband keeps like trying to force food on them and sa- and saying like things like I'm plumping you up. Like there's this very fable, like fairy tale sort of undertone to all of this, which is, you know, their morality plays in and of themselves, right? The whole point of a fable is to like teach a lesson. And so for example, it's like, this is hearkening back to Hansel and Gretel, right? Let me fatten you up for a a bigger purpose, a malevolent purpose that's going to come down the line. Um, there are these little clues like that. And then there's uh, in that same scene when, when James goes off to have a pee, um, he's emptying in quotations, he's emptying himself out, right? His self, you can make this correlation that, that by, by peeing, he's, he's emptying some part of himself out of himself. Right, and then they double up on it and have Gabby show up and give him a hand job until he empties this this other part of himself out, and the sim- the symbolism of that of, of ejaculating is even deeper in that that's a representation of how we as humans duplicate ourselves, mm. right? Uh, the, at least half of ourselves in our in our genome. I agree. There's definitely some sort of intentional look at this because of the way it's shot. Here's the urine splashing down, exact right. same shot. Right. Here's his seed. Right. And then later, <laughs> when he sees that. his first duplicate, I think it's this one. I'm pretty sure it's this one. Um, when he sees his first duplicate being you know, uh, stabbed in the stomach by the kid. There's another shot in that same vein of the blood emptying out of him and splashing on the ground. Mm. And then we see the hand of the kid who's been stabbing him. It's covered in blood and that's dripping. And then later with another duplicate of himself that he beats up, right? We... Uh, like there, well, this happens twice. He beats one up that he doesn't know is him. And then he beats the final one up into oblivion. Like he smashes his face in with his fist. And we see again, the same imagery of the bloody hand and the blood dripping onto the ground. So there's, so the internal emptying out happens earlier. And then this external emptying out where he's literally killed his I don't know, you can make this whatever correlation that the last 
version of him that he kills is himself, his, his old self, the, the, uh, cause that's the dog version of him that has the collar that she mm-hmm. brings out. <laughs> that that version is the, the submissive, um, emasculated him that existed before all of this happened. Mm-hmm. So there's these like stacking sort of themes going on of kind of the same basic few ideas and but they're presented in such a progressively intense and cool way but they all are connected to each other and i think that having that makes me feel like there's like it's just the greatest type of filmmaking because you you're not just following this story like it's just not surface level it's like many many layers deep well down to just subtle things in the the some shots in themselves some visual motifs and uh yeah i'll say the examples but just to kind of set it up too all that we're talking about i think there's you know like all great horror we always uh we always circle back to it's uh can feel contradictory contradictory where in this case that sense that you are part of everything and not unique on some level, but we're all just part of some big cosmic soup together, that can feel extremely warm and comforting and freeing. And at the same time, the most horrifying thing ever, the most disconnecting thing ever. So down to, it had this like unique shot, just for some reason, I mean, it seems so simple, but somehow felt like I hadn't seen one exactly like before of just the ocean filling the frame mm. and the waves going together. It just, you you know, kind of like when you're looking at the water from a certain angle and it just has this really like just kind of hypnotizing effect to it. Yeah. That definitely gave me that feel of, you know, some kind of visual motif metaphor of we're all just, as I said, this, this soup together, this cosmic soup. But then down to the end credits, I thought were so brilliant. Where you just had yeah. the name, the actor's name, whoever's credit repeated right. ad nauseum going so like from the top frame to bottom of the frame. I mean, that's it right there. So, so good. I like actually, it's interesting that you point out that the images of the ocean because there are three distinct versions of the shot of the ocean. One, I don't know why I thought I like was paying attention to this specifically, but the first one has more sky. The horizon line is lower in the frame. And so it's like, it's like a third ocean and two thirds sky. The second one reverses that where it's two thirds ocean and one third sky. And the last one, the sort of where the waves are actually like toy, like whatever, you know, not crashing, but like we're seeing the foam of all the waves is full frame. Like it's filling the entire frame. And it, I, I, you know, we could pick that apart, I guess, but ultimately it just feels like on its most simple level, the ocean itself is a volatile thing. And as the movie carries on, we're, we're being more and more like, consumed by the the chaotic nature of the ocean or or just chaos right the the nature of chaos mm. is is growing and growing and growing so even on just a really surface level it's like we're just being presented with imagery that like supports what's going on in the film right 
Uh, you see the Fablemans, by the way? Not yet. All right, people who did will know why I brought that up. Okay. Uh, yes, 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 yes. This is also, by the way, a old, old, like, imagery theme in film. Like, the, um, the bubbling liquid is a trope that's been around f- almost for all of film, right? Like, um, I can't think of early, early examples, but, like, People staring into the the foam or the bubbles of a drink has been used over and over and is sort of like these para- we're paraphrasing older film over time. Like Travis Bickle does it in Taxi Driver. Like I've seen uh, many versions of this. Well, and this is like the biggest version of it. It's the idea of alchemy and that mm. we are our physical world is malleable and not as solid as we think, which makes me want to mention too, it's so perfect they introduced the uh, psychedelics drug (laughs) aspect to it and that we have all those trippy scenes of just, I mean, the the nipple either itself (laughs) like kind of turning into something a little Play-Doh-y or like something exuding from it that's a substance that's unnatural. I mean, all, all that stuff was great, great, great. The, oh, uh, oh, oh! On that point, though, yeah. there's, there's a, there's also, yeah, alchemy is a good word because, like, so much of this movie is about ourselves and how we change through experience. And the most extreme version is that we ourselves are not ourselves anymore. That there's another version of ourselves. That's not even a change. That's a, that's a, I mean, that's alchemy in its truest form, right? Like turning one thing into a completely new thing. And the idea that <laughs> there's two things wrapped up in that. One, one is the, the idea of self be, uh, disappearing, right? Like that you are, yes, you're you, but you're a new version of you mm-hmm. is, is like, th- that's a really cool, just way to present the arc of, of any character changing and like turn, like, like it's a literal version of them, you know, being a new version of them is actualizing. But with the, the other thing that's constantly sort of being reinforced is the what's a good word for us the the delineation between masculine and feminine. Mm. So like Gabby's character or dominating and submissive. Yes, which is a theme that was in in uh, Possessor too, mm-hmm. I think. So Gabby presents initially as very feminine. Right. Like, like, and it's all an act that we learn. So like, it's already false. Or they're just all sorts of sides to her. True. But that it's specifically that it's a presentation at first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're being seduced in a way. And, yeah. and we learn later that she isn't like that, that she's much more than that, that she exists. She exudes at the end, some very traditionally masculine behavior and like presentation too. And she's like, she's in charge. She's the person with the gun. She's the person telling him what to do. Like she's emasculating him anyway, right? Like all those things. I mean, that first act of whacking him off is just, it's just everything. It's such, you know, it's representative of all that. Right. And so what I'm getting at is like specifically with the nipple, 
the nipple <laughs> growing to a sort of like a shaft is is sort of this very cool maybe i'm reading a lot into this but i my takeaway is that you have the feminine nipple growing into a phallic thing that is both masculine and feminine right like they 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 have similar things going on with them and they are the same thing in that moment but those are two sort of visual sides of the same coin right that's They're, the kind of thing where i agree that meaning is there but that it may not be intentional like that's where it came from you maybe, know but it's a maybe i mean that's the <laughs> type of thing that i want to be like to cronenberg like the the nipple's also a penis right 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 <laughs> he'll say sure tim <laughs> Right. Yes. But all those things, I think, like, even if it isn't, isn't intentional, they all are there all the time. This, this, uh, the binary masculine feminine sort of back and forth is and, constantly there. And those masks they put on are kind of androgynous. Right. Exactly. And also, could I was like, oh my God, are those actual faces of duplicates that got killed? Yeah. Right. So there's just like, there's a layering and a and a cohesion within the design of all these things to the story, which I think is just amazing. I thought um, it was interesting earlier. You said uh, what you say about seeking experience and like uh, that makes us grow, right? Um, but what it is about experience making us grow or change? You said making us yeah. change. So what it is about that? It's experience or what yeah it, it means going outside of your comfort zone so that's why it's so cool we almost do get caught up in a way with like that that hazing aspect where when they're first kind of goading him to do something illegal to like break into this house and hold you know rob these people whatever it's like it's it's great seeing him be forced to make that decision because we can almost relate to that instinct of like these, I'm with these people, they're having fun and seem like in a way that I want to be too. And well, they're making him feel like he belongs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Which is something he clearly has not been feeling. Right, right. Um, I wanted to get to, so like we brought up earlier the uh, that it's Cronenbergian, whether that's father or son is out the window at this point. Um, maybe we can try to separate them, but I like to check in for our context here, what that kind of means mm, and is. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like the, the matter of fact way a specific world is presented that's sort of just a skew of our world. So you think like in uh, David mm. Cronenberg's films, like the way this sort of organization or scientific or psychological sort of method might be sort of first presented often in like some kind of lecture scene or something like that. Uh, and then for this, it's the sort of that it feels like it's a fake country with a fake like language, like how it's written looks more like something I've started. I hope it's, <laughs> I assume it's not real. <laughs> looks like it's Star Wars language. And then, um, and then the technology itself, another very mm, Cronenberg mm -hmm. thing, where the lines are blurred between the sort of organic side of it and the more technical nuts, bolts, wires oh, sure. side of it. Yeah. I would add the thing that I personally get from Cronenberg the most consistently is through character. And the 
specifically that the inner self, I feel like almost every single one of his films, except from the ones maybe I haven't seen, but like there's only four that I haven't seen of his. I hope I can get you to like The Brood. I want you to see that again. <laughs> I mean, I like it. It's just, it, it's, it's of its time, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's, it's cool. It, it, but it, it has this too. So they all, to me, have this very specific thing. The inner self of character and the outer self of character meet through the body. Mm-hmm. So you are almost in every single film, you are seeing a, a uh, transition of self through the physical body. By also going outside of their comfort zone in the internal sense, they're, that's because of what they're doing in the external sense that's yeah. unique to the rules of this, Correct. this situation. Yeah, and the, yeah, exactly. The world's modality dictates. Or the mechanics of the thing yes. itself, in this case, the cloning machine. Right, so or, you know, take the fly, for example, right? You have, a, you have his inner self and his, well, yeah, and his eventual outer self. Like, he has to transition through his desire for success with this particular thing through his own science and technology, which is a very common theme in Cronenberg stuff, and be changed into this thing, this new thing, through the change in his physical self, mm -hmm. body. Like, so like, I guess that's what I'm getting at, right? Like everybody goes through like a metamorphosis of body mm -hmm. in like all of these films. So- that's in David's films. Brandon, I feel like, is doing something different where he is speaking more about inner self in terms of the mind and, like, is tapping into body things, but it's more, uh, I don't know, I would say it's almost more the body. Well, I guess in this one it is, it seems disconnected, right? Like in Possessor, she's, like she's, it's disconnected from herself. Mm -hmm. In this one, the, the duplicates are disconnected from them, them as people. If so the, so the, the change is not happening to their physical body in this. Yeah, it feels like he's Brandon has added an extra dimension on it all. It's almost like, like a ph philosophy, right? A, well, I kind of like we were talking about, um, you know, in these. I kept using the term "cosmic soup" way. Uh, David Cronenberg's films are, yeah, very much on that immediate body thing, and then it's how it's affecting their sort of character and their trajectory and whatever, whatever. Brandon Cronenberg, he it's like he's. I don't want to say taking it up a level, but adding this other dimension to it by acknowledging our inner world yes, is yes. part of that cosmic soup too. The right. kind of like all reality is the same on some baseline level. What's, yeah, what's my I mean, I guess I would say that it's more directly psychologically based mm -hmm. in Brandon stuff. Although it's it's bordering on stepping out of the psychology and into the literal mm -hmm. like nature of duality mm -hmm. of self. Anyway. So yeah, I, I think those are all 
really cool things that continue to be kind of pushed. It's almost like, yeah, it's like a, it's like an, an evolution. What are, you know, I wonder actually if, if how, how influenced Brandon's goals are in these stories to point at how he's evolving from his dad's like films. I'd say he's getting good enough that he's probably not conscious of that. I don't think you can be too conscious of those things. Maybe, yeah. Like, but I think, yeah, it's ab- yeah. I think it's absolutely fascinating that there is such a direct line between him and his dad. And it's just kind of this really interesting, unique example of like, uh, a, you know, a parent uh, kid connection and what is passed on in a very, I mean, appropriately Cronenberg way. Well, it's like, you know, how can you not be influenced by your parentage, right? Like you're influenced one way or the other, positive or negative, right? Like your parentage has an effect on you. Right. But you could, I mean, you could argue (laughs) those same reasons he would be completely different in what he's interested in. But that again also would be an effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you're, you're, you're bound to be being affected by, especially when you go into the same field. Right. Uh, more things of note, I feel like. I guess this so, topic, yeah, that's true. I want to say, like, last kind of funny thing, and maybe just to get out of the way, I think acting was great, and but as far as the Cronenberg connection, mm-hmm. uh, so Alexander Skarsgård, he felt so much to me like Viggo Mortensen, and not a bad oh, way at all, yeah. but he felt like right now in Viggo is Daddy David's, uh, Daddy Cronenberg's, just feel fun to kind of call him that in the sense of like, remember, and um, what did we watch that he acted in? What, Nightbreed? Yeah, Nightbreed. Yeah. <laughs> leather Daddy in that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it just felt almost, you could see it's a, the equivalent where something about them felt similar and they also both felt perfect for their kind of world in a way, their world building, yeah. their story, the character. Yeah, it was great. He was perfect in it. Mia Having Goff said that, scene. I think that an interesting thing is happening that I agree with you. And actually, I would say that by casting Alexander Skarsgård, you are, you are casting a traditionally, he's a big dude. He's a big sort of traditionally, quote unquote, masculine dude, as is Vigo. You know, they are archetypal in this mm. sort of like, I'm a, I'm a dude, I'm a man, I'm a, like a big, strong dude. And kind and, of average in a way too. Yeah, yeah, they're not, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like the regular, like, yeah, kind of like, in a way. Like, Skarsgård, I feel like, had he not become an actor, would be a very tall, lanky, skinny, average guy. But because he became an actor and because he started to lean into this particular, you know, archetype, he got big. Like, there's a big difference between him and, like, True Blood and then, like, what, four years later doing Tarzan Mm. and being, like, just a fucking beefy dude all of a sudden, right? He was not that originally. And then and then we go, you move even forward into time into like the Northman where he's like warrior king bro. So that, you're saying that by that casting, it kind of makes those ideas all that much more apparent when he's put into submissive dog mode. Exactly. So we're seeing what we consider, like what society considers this like traditionally big, strong, masculine guy not be that character at all. Right, like if you read this on the page, I feel like you would be inclined 
at first to cast somebody who is physically matching the attributes of what Gabby is telling him. Like, he's a writer. He should be diminutive. He should be weak. He should be small. Like, he should, like, not be muscular by the 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 context of the writing of the right, character. This stereotype of, like, a talented writer being someone exactly. who doesn't look like him. Yeah, Woody Allen or something, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you would be like... He's neurotic. He doesn't believe in himself. Like he's got all these sort of like traditional qualities that we've seen depicted often as this sort of dorky, nerdy weakling. By not casting him as that, we get even more of the dichotomy between those two things, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's a physically strong, big person, but he mentally does not feel that way whatsoever. So it's, it's enhancing that. And so I think that's makes for better casting. And then when you get to see, as you've started this with, the acting of that, it's so much more compelling. Right. Because we're going, oh my God. Like to see him be horrified at this, at these situations. Right. Like I gotta mention just one of my favorite scenes. You know, because already with the scene I mentioned of them watching themselves get executed, cheering it on, and just how that's a perfect promise of the premise yeah. example, something you only do in this story. I mean, at that point, I was like, if this movie can keep finding, you know, surprise <laughs> me in another way like sure. that did, that's totally unique to this situation. That's great. And it happened exactly when I wasn't expecting it, which was I was again kind of fooled like they were. Maybe you saw it coming when they again cajole him to start beating who he thinks is uh, the the police chief or whoever. Yeah. And jokes on him, which of course everyone just thinks it's a hilarious, oh, it's just a joke, Jamesy. It's him. He's been beating his double, which is, it just shows too what we're saying. It's like, if you can find a unique thing, the thing to do that's just unique to the story, it it generally, I mean, I want to say always, I have to think about, um, will do that exact thing of just getting into those themes just so richly. And that really got to me of like, he was just beating himself up so good. Which it, that is like, the, to me, I think why I like this movie so much is because I'm the type of person who mentally beats myself up all the time, <laughs> right? If I don't write every day, or work out every day, or like whatever. Anything that I've set out to be like, that's something I quote unquote should do for my own personal betterment. When I don't do it, I'm like, you fucking suck. Like, dude, get your shit together and stop being such a like a loser. And like, don't sit around and like look like watch YouTube video. Like, like do something with yourself. Like, I'm super self-flagellating if I let myself be. Mm-hmm. Antidepressants help. Um, but you know, I, I, I relate greatly to this, this, this urge to, to be, I don't want to use this term, but it's the easiest way to put it to be productive. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like the idea of like productivity for the sake of it, but like, I want to make things. I want to, I want to create things and I want to, I don't want to experience things through that. And when I don't fulfill that, I'm mad and I'm mad at myself. Like I'll turn inward and beat myself up. So this, I relate to this character's, like the whole setup is a metaphor for us beating ourselves up. I mean, he's literally doing it knowingly at the end, unknowingly halfway through, right? Like literally doing it and metaphorically doing it in the film. Like the whole movie is like, I'm a, I'm a, 
failure. His book was six years ago now. Right. I haven't, what have I done with my life? Right. I think that all the time. And then like all of friends be like, um, you know, you, you've like produced a lot of stuff. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, but none of it like feels like enough. Mm-hmm. So there's this, like, it's almost like this, this hunger all the time is being met with, uh, self-flagellation, right? Like I, I'm I, like, and that's a bad s- cycle to be in. <laughs> and yet here we are. And so to see a film that's like so concisely depicting that on all the, the whole spectrum of levels, mm-hmm. like it's doing it metaphorically, it's doing it thematically, it's doing it literally. It's, you know, it having all of that and watching this character go through all of that in the face of utter unhinged, insane people mm-hmm. with the themes of society mm-hmm. as well. I'm like, ah, all of this is what I want in a movie. Right. It's, it's, it's really, it's so like extra horrifying. I mean, we kind of already said about them hurting their doubles in that just how, how these people, they, they're not just treating these doubles as if they just don't care about them, but as if they are not human at all. Right. Like, because like, as if they, yeah, which is possessed. which yeah. is a metaphor for what we do to ourselves, right? Like, why right. do we? Why in our brains will we spend any time whatsoever being like you piece of shit, right? To ourselves, yeah, it's it's so inhumane. Like, why would we do that? I it, it brings up that idea for me, the inverse of that, the idea of kind of like inner child work. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, of just like <laughs> makes that, you horrible. Yeah, that's what this movie sh- could have done too. You want to you want to <laughs> add a level. Ha- Show the duplicate in this growing phase. Mm. I mean, obviously, that's not how they depict it. Like, it's a duplicate at adulthood immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you could do a version of this where the duplicate grows from a like a single cell to, or whatever, all the way up through. Like, it's an it's an expedited growth sequence, right? And so there could be a version of you, the duplicate of you, that that like the process arrested at like. 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And um, they're like, oh, we messed up. You like, well, you walk into a room and there's a bunch of the messed up versions of the duplicate, which is a suggestion in the movie. Right, right. And one of them is like your 10 year old self being like, help me. Very alien resurrection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but this, the idea that I think it can, there is something to that where it's healing to like see, you know, as a parent sees their kid mm-hmm. as in that young self, the innocent self, and just, you know, want to give that that part just comfort and love and say, I love you. And just to, this is just so beyond that. Which but his like, wife tries to do, right? Like right. she makes that suggestion. Which, um, but when you see someone who is begging for their life, like in the case of their doubles in mm. pain, that you could say and is an immediate in to viewing someone as their child self when someone 100%. is that emotional. So just is that much more just sort of tragic and terrifying the way that they're again just just treating them as literal non-humans when they yeah. have their exact experience too because then it just gets in that whole head trip thing of that could be the them that we were with up to this point which we've mentioned but yep. just to mention it again is just an ongoing thing that makes it so so good. I feel like I want to mention specific moments, see if that spurs anything sure. else. 
that were horrifying. That first reveal of his clone, his face coming out of the goo, <laughs> yeah. where he looks at him and just kind of the clone him looks at the real him and just kind of gasps and screams. Just the stuff of nightmares was so good. Yeah. And then something about that kid casting for the kid killing uh, his first right. double. It's that grin on his face. I, I know. And that, coming back to that kid, I, I was so pleased. Okay, so when he finds himself having, you know, out in, in the village or whatever, or out in the country, he's escaped Gabby and, their, and the crew, and they take him in, like, and I'm, and he wakes up in a bed in this, like, old farmhouse. I immediately was like, oh, man, this is going to be the kid from the beginning's house, mm. right? I'm thinking, okay, that makes sense. That's what you do in a movie. To have then that payoff, have this insanely well-cast, creepy kid grin thing happen, but then to have that also be a dream is genius because it's, again, taking what we kind of, uh, the film cinematic language or storytelling language that we know and, and just pushing it one step further. It's like giving us what we want because in the moment I'm like, yeah, I want that. Like, like that's the way this should go. And then pushing it a little bit further and having it not be reality also confirms that we are in his brain too. That mm -hmm. he's thinking the same thing we're thinking as the viewer, mm -hmm. which is the fear that the house he ended up in is this kid's house. There's a reason we, the viewer, want that to happen because it makes sense to be the like the worst thing to happen. So to have the character's brain doing the same thing that the audience brain is doing in that moment is Great. Like, that's great storytelling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, the kid is creepy. Terrifying, sinister <laughs> face, yes. There was an audible just sort of shiver in the audience when that kid approached with that grin on his face. Yep. So, so satisfying. Yeah, I, I would really say that the design of the booth, I guess... The cloning the, booth? The, yeah, the duplication booth. It's, and like like, a, it's the infinity pool. Right. Yeah, they're right. Exactly. The infinity pool, the stepping into the gooey red whatever substance that mm -hmm. it is and having more gooeyness come in. And then just, I actually think it was really smart for them to, I thought to myself, oh, it's going to be really scary if that whole thing fills up and he's like trapped in there and like drowning because I'm, have that claustrophobic drowning fear. But by not doing that, it, and, and well, we don't know, right? It doesn't show that happening. It kind of shows a lot of like <laughs> flashing light. Did you, you notice the beginning said like, hey, if you have oh, yeah. epilepsy, like he's like, be careful with this movie. Um, that made me go, oh, this is a Xerox. He's being Xerox. <laughs> Xeroxed, right? Yeah. Like that's sort of the the vibe that we're getting. That the, great. the duplication is this like antiquated way that we humans have copied that's things so in the past. I it's was a like, way that's it's amazing. Subliminally blah, 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 yeah. built into us the Xerox yeah. method. That's but great. then having it be in this kind of nice like bathhouse style tiled like little. <laughs> That's again, like, that's, all, all of that is so great. Right. It's again, is part of the unique Cronenberg thing, I feel like. Just yeah. the sort of materials and elements, just the design of it all. I know. I, I really love that. And, and, and 
just the design of this, the hallucination sequences as well, which feels similar to, to the duplicating sequence in, in certain ways. Right. I don't know what else to say about those scenes, but I just got to say again, I love those, those I want, tripping out I, scenes. Listen, I, I'm not a regular pot smoker, but I would really like to watch this movie like super baked. That means it will have an effect for you and... There, that's great. I encourage you to. I also found myself being like, oh, I want to go frame by frame through this like hallucination sequence because so much visually was happening. Mm. And I was like, but I want to know what like each image is, mm-hmm. which I'm sorry, but that's not a common, like that's really nerdy, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I'm usually like, yeah, just like let it wash over you and whatever. I'm like, no, I want to know more. All that much more reason why you should buy it, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Have a copy. I um just kind of bring it back to that other theme that's at play here, the the hostile one, dude. The I just got to mention, like I love, like where I saw that so much was just in the bookends, the beginning and the end, where yeah. we start out with this sort of almost uh, numbing normalcy, where they're talking about. I hope the the omelet bar chef's gonna be there, <laughs> right? It's yeah. like, it's again, I mean, to reference White yeah. Lotus, we were talking about, or I, I mentioned, it's very much that idea. And like, we're just immediately tuned into the, I want to see these people right. grow and do more. And life is, I mean, that's the, that's a, that's the other head trip about it with these sorts of things is like an omelet bar could and should be exciting and completely like something you're grateful for. But it's in this terms, <laughs> representing a kind of banal normal. Sure. <laughs> so that as the starting point, and then the escalation from there, of course. But then just so, so good, just how it hit it all home with the ending. Where after we have them like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Running his bus off the road, holding that gunpoint. I mean, all this stuff that they've put him through. Like, look at what they put him through in this movie, right? And then to have it all come back with when they're on their like bus ride home or whatever to back to the airport and just kind of like, oh, so what are you going to do when you get back? I was probably gonna rearrange, rearrange the, the furniture. furniture. <laughs> oh, she's she's always doing that. Ha 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 yeah. ha ha. It's just like, oh, it's it's so good. And it was just so on point with just this idea that, like, I don't know, that everyone is that on some level. What's that line we're allowed to you know push? Uh, and that these 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 super, super rich people are just like how they've separated those selves in some kind of way. It's like, we've gotten our yearly fix. We've gotten off. Now we're back. And then see you guys next year. Bye. Bye. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that image of from the bus, I know it's like, this is how you shoot that shot regardless because you want everybody in shot. But all I could think about is the shot in the end of The Graduate. I knew you were going to say that. Right, I, I can mean, picture it immediately. Yeah. Right, and and I'm like, so regardless of intention, the the visual language of cinema that we just n- now know because we've like it's a thing. Um, having that made it was so pleasing to me too. Maybe the shot in and of itself originally and always has been just a pleasing thing, but if you want to relate it to the graduate. <laughs> Which you do. Which I do. Because <laughs> I love that movie too. Having that exact same shot without, with just him, right? In The Graduate, it's it's them as a couple. 
post her leaving her own wedding, having him just sit there and have like, in a way, it's like having the family drama over like that in the graduate, that's sort of what they've escaped, right? They've escaped the family drama and, and, and the, in, in its own way, the banality of, of what your family wants of you. Right. But spoilers. And the point of that is that a new banality sets in or does it? Correct. There's this question mark on that shot. It's a, it's a mixed ending. That's the famously, the f- most famous example of a mixed kind of ending. Right. In this, like, I just like the, you know, it, it, it's uh, the suggestion of that and what that, like, implication could be. Mm-hmm. You know, that he's now by himself. His marriage is over. His life has changed, right? I don't even think that this was an intentional thing whatsoever. I think it just, like, it just sort of broadly affects us. And you can be like, oh, this is kind of like that. Can you imagine them running into each other like a few months later? Like she's just, Gabby's just like, oh, James, yeah. So you're working on that book. How you doing? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, are you how going are back you? next summer? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe we'll see that. Oh, yeah, sure. Let us know. All right. <laughs> I mean, just the, uh, what's underneath that all. It's, it's so weird because there are a number of shots throughout that made me feel that way where I'm like, I don't think that they're intentionally referencing other film, but I am, I am like feeling the feelings of those, like the shot of him, the final shot of him on the beach in the the chair with the rain around him. And it's a very golden hour sort of shot. Right. I'm like, isn't that in like a Tony Scott film? You know what I mean? Like, like some, like, I don't know what would be a good example, like cocktail. Are you you saying you That's like- That's not a Tony Scott film, but I mean, I, I'm saying that there are shot selections that feel like other films that are in the drama or romantic drama realm. I feel like that is almost more like they're just, that's because it's shot well. And then <laughs> I think you're, what you're doing is- and keep using that term, cause this cosmic soup of it all. Mm. Well, our, our films that we've seen and love that are famous and known and their styles and shots and techniques, right. they are a part of our, they're a part of us when we're filmmakers. Yeah. We we will manifest things that can echo it in ways. And I think you're pretty attuned on picking up on those, but I do think it's at the level where it's not deliberate, but I put it more as okay. that kind of magic of it all. That's fair. And, I, and I'm and i totally willing to concede that it's not deliberate, but if it is, <laughs> it's incredibly smart. Yeah, yeah. Because if you are matching or echoing shots from those movies, like you're saying another thing about the story and about the characters, which is the comfort that we find in those movies that that are all kind of like, they're like in our brains now. This movie is, is even more a like <laughs> a weird reflection of them. Right. And so if it's intentional, I think that's really, really cool. I think sunset on a beach will make us think Tony Scott, but I mean, it's generic enough that it's I It's generic, feel like- <laughs> but I'm like, dude, the feel is really there. Like the, the coloring of that shot 
is unlike most other shots in the film. And was your read on that scene? I mean, just just checking in, my thought the clear read was the whole, this could be, we don't know. It was, it was messing with the idea of what's the double or, or not. Is this really him or not? Because it just sort of suggests maybe that there's one of him or a version of him still back there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Because, I mean, that, that's why, what else yeah. would the read on the scene be? It could kind of be like he sent one of his doubles back to live his boring life. And now he just wants to just okay. exist on a beach. No, I like that. I guess my, my read on it was more esoteric, I guess, that, that, he he cannot return. He, so when he pulverized his dog self, the likelihood that that dog self was his original self mm-hmm. and symbolically and literally he destroyed his original self. Mm. The, 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 what would you call that? The, the him prime, <laughs> not a copy, was the dog. Mm-hmm. And he's a copy, this version of him is a copy who pulverized and uh, literally and figuratively destroyed his prime self because he's now forever changed. This is all thematic. Um, but I, I, I think you could take it as that read and that he now cannot return to his uh, you know, former life because that's his former self. And how does that shot mean all that for you? In that he's now in purgatory mm. because he can't leave that place. Mm. And to sit at the resort after the resort is closed in the rainy season is to move into the space that the resort represents on the opposite side of it. Right. Like you can't be, you can't live in fantasy or like you can't be on vacation forever. It's going to start to rain. Correct. But but he can't go back to reality because he he he's not he doesn't exist anymore. That version of him doesn't exist. Yet we see his buddies try to try to do just that as if it is all normal. Talking about their rearranging furniture. Yeah, but they they may either be them their original selves, or they've just come to terms with the fact that they're a copy and they don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Which is even more like depressing because they. They truly don't care about any of this. Or what is really horrifying is that it's they would be acting exactly the same. That's a double that doesn't know it's the oh. double because they have their exact same memories up to that point imprinted in them. Yeah. I guess unless how they come back out of the goop lets them know if they're a double or not. I don't know. That's not the Well, they pose the question in that it. first like meeting too, where right, they're like, right, right. We're, all, so like is, we're all probably robots anyway right, or we whatever. Keep talking about that. All right. Well, anything else you want to say what works? Okay, yeah. So the last thing for me is just to to really emphasize how good Mia Goth I'm glad is. you're going there. Yeah. So I was saying to Brit, you know, where'd she kind of come out, like come from? Suddenly we've now seen three, four films with her. Or I've seen four. I think we've watched three now. Pearl, X, and this. And it's like she just, this person just arrived and is just way, way more elevated as an actress or actor than anybody else like in film right now. So what's that all about? And how how the hell did that happen? And I was like, 
Well, it happens because she's talented, obviously. Like, she's incredibly talented. But it doesn't happen just out of the blue. You have to, you have, to have the opportunity to expose your essence as an actor in the right role. Well, being a nymphomaniac, I think that's an opportunity where an actor is able to do that. Right. Is she is is that a real pr- proclamation on her part that she me no, the was person just, or the casting is Well, no, that would just make sense if you're in a film that's like Nymphomaniac, then what would happen? <laughs> then you have an opportunity to really show right. yourself. But like she's now being given roles where she can bloom into what she is best at. And I say that because that's her first listed film here. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like, I'm sorry, but she's doing things on a subtle level that are like, I, I don't know that you direct, you, like the, maybe you give credit to the director in her performance to some degree, but like that's her. She's very much, um, <laughs> when she talks about acting says, I mean, this may be things of note, but um she talks about it's all just very much a body thing for her. Like when, you know, when asked about um not her her monologue in Pearl, but her um her freak out that kind of went viral of I'm a star, but right, I'm a right. star. Someone asked her like, ooh, just kind of a generic, not really a question question of like that just sounded or came across as like, yeah, that was great. So how do like how do you do that? <laughs> you know, it sort of felt like the question I, and she I was saw like saw that interview. <laughs> right. Mm. But she was Credit to her, very, you know, she's, she's great, very classy. And yeah, explains, she just kind of, you know, only prepares, you know, you only do so much to prepare, but it's all very much just, you. she lets her body do the everything, the talking. Yeah. So, so yeah. oh, you hear good acting. And I got to shout her out then too. I mean, Cure for Wellness, I'd love to dismember. I haven't seen that since it came out. Oh, the, I haven't watched that. The Gore Verbinski movie yeah, she's yeah. in. That was, it was Really cool. I'd love to see where that is five, six years later now. Emma, I've seen her in. She's great in that. Oh, yeah. High Life and Suspiria came out the same year. Oh, God. That's right. She's in Suspiria. Yeah. I I think what it is is that she's been, as a career, she's been given enough tether mm. to, to be good. Mm-hmm. And then when... Uh, she did X, they let all of the tether out. Actually, more like when they Pearl. did Pearl. Yeah. They let all the tether out. Which was co-written and, by her. Right, exactly. So it's like, it's a nice case of an actor being able to be like, if you want the most out of me, let me do my thing. Mm-hmm. And then doing it and everybody goes, oh my God. Where, like, where has this person been? Like, well, they've been there the whole time. But they're just like, you know, it's 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 landing because of her contribution. Anyway, that's all to say. I'm just kind of saying she's amazing. Yep. In this, like, I, I'm like, she's so unhinged. I I know people like this in real life. I dated a person like that. I want to say lucky it's you. Not cool. <laughs> okay. Like, like her character in this movie, like, oh, like unhinged at times, and then like flipping on a dime. Like the next second, it's like, oh yeah, but everything's great. Like, it's so scary to be around that thing and to have an actor be able to to like do that concisely is amazing. And she's also just 
so gorgeous though. She is. I remember thinking to myself like, man, this person's features are, are not like real because they're so perfect. I, I feel like she's a drawing, like an artist went like, okay, here's how you do like cute, perfect lips. Here's how you do nose. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like saw, uh, her non eyebrows is a little strange, but then it uh, like, Oh, it looks great. And then eventually you're like that. That's perfect for her. Right. There's a uh, <laughs> women on TikTok talk with the same eyebrows talking about how she like made them feel comfortable with their eyebrows. Oh, that's nice. She's great. Yeah. She is. Anyway, great. she's incredible. And I, I, I hope that, well, I mean, we'll see Maxine. I bet Maxine is just going to be, that, not, not get our I, expectations I, I, too high, but I, 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 my excitement no, is through X, the roof. X expectations. Yes. Anyway, yes. <laughs> all praise, all hail, goth. That's right. Let's see if there's anything that did not work for us. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> uh, we got this section here, Tim. Um, I I feel like this is one of those stupid things where it's like I need to see it again. But kind of like what you were saying earlier, how oh, can you imagine if there was a scene where you know they killed their little kid self? It, it just had that little bit of a premature ending feel on a first viewing for me, where oh. I was like. It had just escalated so, so well. And of course, so much happens. But on some level, I was just like prepared just for one more unique escalation of this technology somehow to bring it up to yet Mm. another unexpected level of horror and body horror and all that jazz. But I mean, now just looking back, I'm like, I think I'll watch it again and be like, no, it's perfect. It's exactly how it's supposed to be. I, yeah, I don't, I am very hard pressed to find something that didn't work. Well, you don't have to struggle. That's fine. Um, let's, let's, we could move on here. <laughs> man, that is interesting when this happens too, because it does happen to us. I, I just, I don't know. Great. Let's move on then. <laughs> Okay. We loved it. Yeah. Uh, maybe I will say this is no, this is not, a, but just something to sort of sum up what did work and what did not work. And we were talking about Possessor originally. Mm-hmm. This just felt way, way more complete yeah. to me in a sense than Possessor. And again, not, I didn't love Possessor. All right. I didn't, not that I didn't like Possessor. I didn't love it though. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Anyway, just to bring it all back in that sense. But here we go. All right. We both loved it. So let's just move on. Things of note. Things of note. (laughs) This should be interesting. I just kind of mentioned earlier that there was that the, the kid's grin felt like a visceral, visceral reaction in the theater. I think it's always fun for these mm. um, these movies where we do get to see it in theater on their original run. Right. These podcasts act as a preservation in time. So for anyone yeah. listening 100 years from now, well, thanks for listening, as we like to say. Uh, but the reaction was there was a guy at the beginning who I believe <laughs> no. it was after the first, or after the first, after, after uh, not master, after, yeah, she got him off. The guy was kind of like, 
what the fuck or something like that. And like, yeah, he said like, what the fuck? And then someone, a woman said something else to that. I just got like, oh my God. And then at the end, that same guy, as soon as the movie ended, was did some said something similar, just like, what the fuck? Just something like that. Hmm. I think it's fascinating. I do not relate. For me, I'm just like, this is just a story being told. Like, I'm just accepting it at face value. Yeah. Like, I don't care how extreme or, or weird. I don't know. That's just, 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 just to speak up for all the people who rarely think things are actually weird. I'm like, no, this is just like, this is, these are just the words on the page. This is just what yeah. it is. Like, it's, I don't know. I had a similar theater thing. Not exactly that, but, um, Early on, I don't remember what the moment was though, but early on in in the movie, the guy behind me just like, there's, you know, some some moment in the scene that was provocative or suggestive of something. I don't remember what. And he just like let out this like weird discomfort cackle. And I was like, oh no. Yeah, it was that kind of thing that I was I'm like, we're going to do that this whole, like, this is a Cronenberg film. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be weird and it's going to make you uncomfortable. Sounds like you at the end of Midsommar. <laughs> That's true. I was unhinged during that. <laughs> um, but it, it just was out of control. And I was like thinking, damn, this is going to be a long, like, experience luckily it, it, he only did it like one other time and it was in the first act so that's nice but to your point in some of those moments y- y- there were not very many people in because i went during the day because that's all the only time i could go and i think there were two four six eight maybe nine people in the theater maybe and there was that uncomfortable kind of like chuckling at the at the ejaculation scene and a couple of the like when boobs came out i'm like god like are we 12 Mm -hmm. come on yeah get it it together yeah it's not that big a deal and i wonder i don't know it's i'm like mia goth plus cronenberg like i'm these are where my expectations are at. I don't know. Right. And granted, I'm fine with people not knowing what they're stepping into yeah, yeah, yeah. to a degree. Like skin rink, 11 people leaving. I'm like, what were you expecting? <laughs> like, come on. Like the trailer was not so like misleading. God, I love like, how- Like give me a break. Right. I, I love how divisive that was. Yeah. It's so exciting. I mean, you know what was really annoying in the theater is that somebody wore track pants, like the like nylon track pants. People still wear those? I guess so. Wait, in this movie? Yes. Okay. And kept like, you know, I can't do it because I'm not wearing them, but like rubbing their legs together. And I'm like, I, stop it. It makes my like teeth hurt or feel yes. weird, you know? Like I couldn't that, believe it. Like that nail on chalkboard yeah. feel. Those, those pants do that for me. Ugh, brutal. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> we've, we've swayed. Uh, anything else for things of note? Not that I can think of off the top of my head here. Well, I, then this has I been- I just loved it. Yeah. just loved it. This has been a great discussion. Thank you, Tim. We can oh, wind down. You. No, thank you, Ryan. <laughs> we can wind down <laughs> away from the infinity pool. We can step out of the infinity pool and just- <gasps> What, Tim? Oh, I what? thought of something that I remember before we started recording that I wanted to say. I want to give 
as much credit as possible to the 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 effects designers mm. because I, I don't know how often we say this but those sequences the hallucination sequences from a a construction point of view mm. an art direction point of view yes totally but the construction of that is is a crazy thing to do and and like I get it. That's like, I get why you have a disclaimer at the beginning saying like, there's like flashing lights or whatever, but like, it's so beautifully constructed and like it's, it's effective and it's working. So like, I wish I actually knew the name of like whoever worked on that, but they often, I feel like are not recognized enough for that kind of stuff. Because it's not like Cronenberg sat in, the, in an editing bay, like splicing that together. Right. Like a, a crew of effects people did that. Right, how great these practical effects were, you're just kind of saying. All around, yeah. The visual, practical, and, uh, you know, hallucinatory sequences are amazing, amazing. So credit to them. Great. All right. Well, I, I left one foot in the infinity pool. All right. Can I take it out now? <laughs> yes, you can. All right. Or I leave in the goo. Going to wind down with some recommendations. I uh, had mentioned before Hal Ashby movie, and I said, oh, kind of alluded to why I was watching his films, but did not totally reveal why. I just finished reading the book, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, How the Sex, Drugs, oh. and Rock and Roll Generation Saved Hollywood by Peter Biskind. Biskind. Something I've been on my list since, you know, film school days forever, uh, but finally read it. I loved as much as I could hope I would. How about you? Let's see. Why don't I do um, Fire of Love? Fire of Love, I'm pretty sure. Is that sure. the new documentary about the volcano couple? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really great. So it's directed by Sarah Dosa. And it's um there were two volcanologists that were about the same age, grew up in the same town, were born in the same town, and met in that same town, and both happened to both be obsessed with volcanoes when they were younger. And they met and became a couple and became like two of the sort of premier volcanologists on the planet. And it's a really incredible story just of like the time frame that that science was being studied. But these two, <laughs> these two in particular, in that they were a couple, but like studying a thing that is so dangerous and like, insane in a lot of ways like people go up to volcano like active volcanoes like you're gonna you're probably gonna get killed um but the i don't know there's some there's a quality to the documentary that i found really beautiful and pleasing and touching and um and and i also just find like geology and volcano stuff really interesting too. So I'm like, oh, cool. Now, you know, like let's learn some stuff. So all in all, it's a really great documentary. Great. Yeah, no, something that caught my eye. Get into it. Great. Well, if you made it this far, thanks for making it this far. You can find us wherever you found us. We got dismemberinghorror.com. You can find our email, any social media things we do. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a 2022 film we watched on Shudder called Speak No Evil. I 
I think that's it. So in closing, whether you're the original or the double, thanks for listening. Oh, and we'll see you next time. And you, and you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>